Our scripture reading you will find in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Paul's letter to the Galatians we will read from chapter 3 and uh, from chapter 4, the first four, four, uh, the first seven verses. Galatians chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture 
imprisoned uh, everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the, to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. So far the reading of God's holy word. This afternoon we will listen again to the confession of Lord's Day 27. You can follow the reading in the book of praise on page 541. Question 72. Does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No, only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ remove our sins, just as water takes away dirt from the body. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water. Should infants too be baptized? Yes, Infants as well as adults belong to God's covenant and congregation. Through Christ's blood, the redemption from sin and the Holy Spirit who works faith are promised to them no less than to adults. Therefore, by baptism as sign of the covenant, they must be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Covenant by circumcision, in place of which baptism was instituted in the New Covenant. 
Beloved congregation, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first sermon on this Lord's Day, which I preached, I believe, two weeks ago, I said that God, in his infinite love, comes to us as the one who is faithful and true. We see that in our baptism and take heart. And when we then let ourselves be captivated by his love, I said, I asked, when we let ourselves be captivated by his love, why then we will want nothing beside him. Then his promise will be our comfort and joy, because then we will have found our rest in him. All too often, however, that rest escapes us. It escapes, as I said, because we look for certainty in the creature rather than in the creator. People place their trust not in the blood of Christ, but in the water of baptism, which you'll recall was the first point. And then, see, then when a child is baptized, then the water of baptism is looked upon as if it somehow has special, has magical powers. As if God's grace were somehow or other locked up in that water, as the Roman Catholic is inclined to do. Or, I ask, or people look to that child, as if somehow everything depends on what is hidden in the soul of that child, which will be the focus of the second point. But the Catechism, having listened carefully to the witness of Scripture, would have us understand differently. It wants us to see Christ. It wants us to know who our God is for us in Christ Jesus. It confesses that not the water of baptism, but the blood of Christ cleanses us from all our sins. It also teaches us that we are to place our trust in God's faithfulness to the covenant, not in something in or of the child. See, in his sovereign good pleasure and in the infiniteness of his great love, our God, think of it, our God bound himself to the water sign. So it is, he comes to us when that water is sprinkled on the forehead of a child or of an adult when the sacrament of baptism is administered. And so he asks that we, from that water, look up to him. Yes, he says to each of us, as surely as you are now baptized, so sure it is that I am your father and that you were washed by the blood and spirit of Christ, and that by the Holy Spirit you were adopted as my child. Read Hebrews 10 verse 29 very carefully again. It warns us 
Do not spurn the blood of the covenant by which you were sanctified. Ah, you see, we must not look on the water, but we must focus our eyes on the Lord. He in his love surely gives himself to us. But also, listen carefully, but also he in his wrath will turn against all who despise his love and reject his grace. It is so very important that we understand that well. For then we will understand also that we must indeed hold the blood of Christ in honor. And when we do, see, then we have a guarantee that is sure. As surely as you were baptized, so sure you may be that you have been washed of all your sins. Then you will not be placing your trust in a creature, but in God who cannot lie whose word is steadfast and sure. After all, his word rests on a sure foundation, the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. So I come now to the second point of this sermon, the foundation of baptism. See, not only must we look to the blood of Christ and not to the water of baptism, but also we must place our trust in God's faithfulness to the covenant, not in something in or of the child. You see, there is another danger. Not only are there those who look on the water of baptism, thinking that somehow that water has to do it, and then losing all certainty when they see that that water has not done what they thought it would do. There are others also, people who look at the child. You see, there are the people who think that the water of baptism is not simply, is not only a sign and a seal of God's grace. Rather, they see it as a sign and a seal of God's grace, which they think is somehow or other already present in the child receiving baptism. Though, listen carefully, though not necessarily, in every child receiving baptism. So, when a child is baptized, they ask themselves, and perhaps each other, I wonder, ah yes, I wonder how it is with this child. What kind of heart is there in this child? 
Is this child an already born again child of God? Yes or no? And of course, a little child, a little baby, can't say a word about that. And so there are people who say, you must postpone baptism until such a time that that child can give a testimony, a convincing evidence concerning itself. When a child has come to maturity, they say, when the child can give a powerful, a power-filled testimony concerning itself, when there are, are very clear signs of the grace of God at work in that young person, then baptism may be administered and not before. You understand? See, in that line of thinking, the foundation of baptism is not the witness, the testimony, of the word of God. Oh no. Rather. The foundation of baptism. Now is. The testimony. Of a person. About him. Or herself. Such people. Attach greater value. To the witness. A person gives about himself. Than they give to the word of God. That proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Such people. Are caught in the clutches. Of subjectivism. Such people. Place their trust. In man. And in the word of man about himself, about his soul, about his commitment to Jesus. Now to be sure, people of the Reformation churches really don't want to go that route. After all, they do present their children for baptism. But about all too often they too want to be able to look from the water of baptism to the child receiving that water of baptism they think that that baptism is that it must be a sign that the child is a born again child they think that baptism is a sign, not only what they choose to call an external covenant, but that it is also a sign and a seal of what they call the internal covenant. By internal covenant, they mean the covenant as established with the elect understand? People make those distinctions. The Bible does not. And see, once people make those distinctions, they get themselves hopelessly 
ensnared. And so they rob themselves of all comfort. The sacrament of baptism no longer gives them any assurance. And it can no longer serve to strengthen their faith. You ask, why is that so? Well, think of it. First, they make a distinction between an external and an internal covenant, which the Bible never does. Then they go on to say that baptism is a sign and a seal of that internal covenant, which means to them there is a sign and seal of being regenerated already. You understand? I'm referring here to the presumptive regeneration and to presumptive non-regeneration line of thinking. But, but not every child is born again. There are children who, when they grow up, despise their baptism. That is an undeniable fact, right? Well, that undeniable fact now forces them to have to give an answer to the question, what about the baptism of such non-born-again children? That question they typically answer by saying, it must not have been real. It must have been a, a mistake, they say. Such children must have been entered only into an external covenant, they then say. And the sad thing is that they, people who so think, the, the sad thing is that they... As parents standing with their children at the baptismal font can never know for sure how it is with this particular child. The haunting question they now face is, is this child our child of the covenant? a member of the inner circle, the internal covenant, or, or is this child only a member of the outward, the external covenant? Is our child elect? Yes or no? You hear it. So baptism is made into a game of chance, a lottery ticket. You may have a winner, but, uh, but maybe you don't. So baptism has lost all its comfort and all its assurance and all of its seriousness. And see, then there is not a father or a mother 
who can point their child, a child who is struggling with or caught up by the powers of sin, then there is not a father or a mother who can then point their child to its baptism. Then no parent can plead with the Lord for their wayward child on the basis of its baptism. Then what is the value of baptism? Well now, over against all that uncertainty which is born of human speculation, you understand, over against all of that uncertainty, we confess that baptism is real. Let me say it this way. There is not a child that ever was baptized whose baptism was or is not real. Not one. Also the baptism of those children who are lost, who despise their baptism. Also their baptism was a real, a genuine baptism. There is absolutely no difference between the baptism of a child who is saved and the baptism of a child who is lost. Ishmael's circumcision was as real as that of Isaac. And Esau's circumcision was as real as that of Jacob. And the baptism of Demas was as real as that of the Philippian jailer. See, it is indeed true. We must not cling to the outward washing with water. Neither, however, must we look from the water of baptism to the child baptized. Rather, from the water of baptism, we must look up to God and believe. Yes, we must believe that he speaks words that are altogether true. When a child or an adult is mentioned by name at the baptismal font, and receives the sign and the seal of his grace. Remember, not what you may somehow think or hope or assume about your child at the baptismal font can give you any certainty for the nurture of your children. But about what God what the Lord God of the covenant has said to your child at its baptism, only that gives you certainty and comfort. Remember it well. He, the Lord God, he has received your children into his covenant. He sealed that in their baptism, they belong with Abraham and his seed. That covenant, it is neither external nor is it internal. Rather, covenant means that Abraham and his seed, we, are bound to God. Even as God, in his sovereign good pleasure, bound himself to Abraham and to his seed. To us. 
See, that's the point Paul is driving at in his letter to the Galatians. There is only one covenant, says Paul in effect. That one covenant includes the children of God of Old and New Testament eras. You understand? Of all the New Covenant eras. Think of it. The Old Covenant came to its fullness in Christ Jesus. That is its newness. That makes it possible for the Apostle to say that all who are Christ's are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. That covenant, as you know, says that we are joined, bound to God by his love and grace. That covenant says that a hand was placed on our life, the hand of God. In his covenant, our God says to us, you, you are my people, you are children You and your children are mine. Remember, he said, the promise is to you and to your children. I shall be a father to them and they shall be my people. And see, when a child is then baptized, then that child receives the promise which God by oath, gave and gives to the whole church. Then the children, the children of the church, are holy children, says Paul in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7.14. Ah, yes, they are children who are sanctified in Christ, children whom God himself calls his own possession. Then baptism is filled with promise. He, as their father, will draw them by his love and lure them by his grace. Now to be sure, listen very carefully now. To be sure, those children can indeed harden themselves. They can despise that love and trample upon the grace, that grace, by which the Lord would draw them to himself. Baptism does not say that that cannot happen because baptism does not seal either their election or their regeneration irrespective of the age they were when they received the sacrament of baptism. Rather, baptism, irrespective of the age a person is when baptized, baptism seals to us God's love, a love that can be trampled upon by those Baptized. I remind you again of Hebrews 10.29, which talks about treating as an unholy thing of having profaned the blood of the covenant by which they 
were sanctified. Putting it another way, baptism seals to us the certainty of God's promise to us today. But it does not seal to us that he elected us from eternity. Remembered well, neither the Bible nor our baptism gives us a glimpse behind the scene. God does not let us look into his secret counsel. The Bible says it very clearly. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the works of the words of his law. You see, the Lord asks, I ask, the Lord demands that we believe his word, his promises to us. And yes, he asks that we walk by faith. Then you understand there is really a mark of unbelief to want to look behind the scene, to look for special signs and happenings. Yes, that is a refusal to walk by faith in the way of God's word. It is a sinful attempt to remove the boundary which he has set. See, for today, The Lord wants you, all of us, to be satisfied with the word he spoke. The word he also sealed to you personally in your baptism. It was very real. It was and it is true. Its date was recorded in the records of the church. You see... The certainty we, as parents, as church community, may have concerning our children is not that we are told that they are born again. You will not get that certainty in any manner, shape, or form at the baptismal font. But this... This is our certainty. Our God is faithful. He will not forsake the work of his hands. He is a God who tells us that we may plead with him for our children on the basis of his promises also. Also, when it seems as though those promises are not being fulfilled. When you see that, then baptism becomes a living thing for you. There is a source of strength for you. Then you have something to hold on to for the nurture of your children. Also, when they grieve you and you have problems with them.
then you may talk with them about the inheritance that is laid up for them. You may talk to them of the Lord's great and wonderful grace, that he adopted them to be his children, that he promised to be their God. And then, oh yes, then you must also tell them that it is possible, listen carefully, then you must tell them that it is possible to be disinherited. You must tell them of the holiness of the Lord. You must warn them that children who persist in the way of disobedience will surely lose what they have. They will be cut off. Read what Peter says as he speaks to the children of the covenant and warns them about what they had done to Jesus. He reminds them of the word of Moses who said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed, cut off from the people, the people of the covenant. Ah, yes, they will be cut off. That means, you understand, that they were at one time part of, that they did belong to the people, the children of God's covenant. Think of Achan. And then read sometime Psalm 89, a psalm that exalts in the riches of the promises to believers and their children. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted. For you, you are the glory of their strength, By your favor, our horn is exalted. That's beautiful and very encouraging, right? But the psalmist, Ethan the Ezraite, also speaks words of warning to Abraham, uh, rather, to David and his descendants, and by implication, to all the children of the covenant. Ah, yes, he warns of the Lord's judgment on those who would forsake his law and not walk according to his rules, who would violate his statutes and not keep his commandments. I will punish their transgressions with the rod, he said, and their iniquity, their iniquities, with stripes. 
See, it is in the context of such understanding of the covenant that children can be nurtured in the fear of the Lord. Then our children may know it for sure. God, God has called me. No matter how great my sin is, I am his child. And you remind your children, you may say to them, when you, my children, through weakness, fall into sin, you must not then despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin. Did you hear? Nor continue in sin. Because the wage of sin is death. And you must not doubt that our God is a gracious God. So baptism is the basis where we may plead when our children give evidence that they refuse to walk in the way of covenantal obedience. Remember well, if we hold to man-made ideas about baptism, then parents of children who become wayward can only come to one conclusion. The baptism of our child, it must, after all, not have been real. It must really have been a mistake. It must only have been about an external covenant. But, but those who cling to the word, those who hold on to the ordinances of the Lord, they know it for sure. Baptism, my baptism, the baptism of, of my children, it was real. God surely gave himself to me. He wants to be my heavenly father. And so, overwhelmed by the greatness of God's covenantal love, so the prayer of faith is born that pleads with the Lord. O oh Lord God, you have promised. I will not let you go. I will cling to your word. If that is clear, then all of us, parents and children alike, all of us have seen the beauty, the joy, and the utter seriousness of the covenant. Remembered well, God did not give us this sacrament in order to keep us in doubt. He does not want us to wonder or to speculate about what the meaning and the significance of baptism, our baptism, our children's baptism, might possibly be. Rather, he asks that we walk by faith. He wants us to rid ourselves of all thoughts and notions born of unbelief. He tells us straight, the secret things, ah yes, 
The secret things belong to me, the Lord your God. But the things that are revealed, say, see, they belong to you and to your children, that they may do them and live. And remember, all who walk in that way, in the way of the covenant, who hear and do the word of the covenant, they thereby make their calling and election sure. They know the God of the covenant. They know that their Redeemer lives. They know the joy of life and peace forevermore. They will praise the Lord today and always. Praise the Lord. Amen.